Hello, people of North Georgia. This is Sue Hoppert Johnson, your resident bishop, uh, coming to speak with you today about uh, the regathering of our churches and issues of COVID and racism and uh, the crazy times we are facing right now. I say I wake up every day and think, boy, surely nothing weirder can happen today and every day I'm never disappointed. Uh, I know that it's a time of struggle for many of you. I know that there's a lot of grief and a lot of hurt and quite frankly, a lot of exhaustion out there. Uh, we feel it ourselves and I hope you will take some time to thank your clergy. Uh, they have been under immense stress and boy, a huge learning curve as we have had to learn to adapt and change and move daily as circumstances change and as times change. Uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for uh, your willingness to keep each other safe, to watch out for one another, your willingness to uh, accept our guidance and to uh, look to us. We really take that as a privilege and don't take that lightly. Uh, and we also feel a real sense of responsibility to lead you as well as we can, to give you the information you need, to give our recommendations. But that said, nothing we say is an edict or a decree. Uh, that's really not my leadership style. It's not the kind of leadership style our cabinet has. Uh, we are highly recommending, we are urging, we are uh, in the name of Christ pleading with you to do some of these things. But uh, I don't think we are uh, heavy handed or militaristic or ugly in our uh, insistence. Uh, what we ask you to do, we ask you to do out of the compulsion of love and not of the compulsion of authority. And that's how uh, Christ has done it. That's the appeal of the Apostle Paul to his early churches. And I'm gonna share with you a passage out of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this is part of chapter 12, and then we'll go from there. This is what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts with less honor, so that, those, so that there won't be division in the body, and so the parts might have mutual concern for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part uh, gets the glory, all the parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. And to me, that is the theological focus of today. I think in our modern American culture, we have lost the concept of we. And that is to our detriment. You know, uh, Christ, God has always moved among peoples, that this is a communal project, and this is about learning to live together, to love one another, to appreciate each other. And sometimes our American insistence on individuality and rights and personal uh, preference gets in the way. And so I want you to think about that as we talk about uh, reclaiming the we in our congregations and our responsibility to watch out for the weakest and to watch out for those uh, who, who receive the less glory. I love that image of Paul, that, that this is a radically communal uh, experience. And John Wesley saw that, you know, there is, there is no way uh, to be a solo dog Christian. There is no way that we are committed to each other. I love, uh, I love one of the articles that came, about, came out about the churches in uh, the uh, pandemic of 1918, the Spanish flu pandemic. And it said that they graciously acquiesced when asked not to gather. And I thought, man, that is a great way to describe the church. A group that graciously 
acquiesces to the good of all. And so that's what I'm asking you for today. Um, I, um, I, the heart of what I have to say is uh, that we want you to be prepared to regather. That this is really a lot more about the how than the when. And each church is going to have a sense of where they are or have they prepared well? Are they ready to open safely or not? And so uh, I'm going to, uh, one of the reasons we set the June 22nd date was to give a buffer time. So we didn't want people rushing back to worship. We didn't want people to not think about this or to prepare well. And so we are um, saying if you are prepared, if you've done your homework, if you have the supplies you need, if you've thought this through, if you can uh, do all you can to keep people safe coming to worship, then uh, from, you know, from this point on, uh, we give you our blessing to do that. And uh, we hope that you will do it uh, in a way that um, will uh, make sure, as much as you can, that people will be safe. Um, you know, the reality is the church, I hate it seeing churches closed. The church has never been closed. In fact, we've learned new ways to be open. And um, the church's movement never fails. It just gets altered. So this is really about gathering. And I know that your sense of preparation will be different if you have 10 gathering, if you have 50 gathering, if you have 1,000 gathering. And those are concerns that you need to focus on in your individual churches. Uh, my biggest plea to you is not to put your clergy in a bad position, not to put your church leadership in a bad position. They are doing the best they can and they are watching out for the we. They are watching out for the we. Uh, on our conference website, we have a tremendous number of resources. If you go to our webpage at ngumc.org, at the top there is a banner that says COVID resources. Click on that and you will have just a multitude of resources. And I am so grateful to our conference staff for compiling these. There are resources on um, how to prepare your sanctuaries, how to uh, think about children uh, nurseries and, and gatherings. Uh, we have uh, recommendations from the CDC. Uh, and you know, if there, there are also resources there if you need just to focus on children, whether it's mother's morning, well, childcare uh, during partial, partial day, daycare or full-time preschool or all of that. There are resources there and folks that we can connect you with. We're not, we don't make the rules. We're not going to give you rules for everything, but we're going to give you people in those resources who are experts who can guide you um, to the most up-to-date information available. Uh, what, what is there and what we are going by are from our friends at the CDC, uh, Emory Healthcare, and the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory. We are blessed with tremendous friends there, tremendous resources, and we really are looking at this uh, from what is best for all at, and from the latest scientific information. And so uh, that's what you're going to get from us. Please look at those resources. I am delighted and I need to publicly thank Nathan Frank. Nathan is the worship leader and music director at Johns Creek United Methodist. And I asked him to convene a group of uh, choir directors, worship leaders, folks who know worship well from all different backgrounds, from all size churches, from all parts of the annual conferences, uh, from African-American church, from a Korean church. And they got together and they came out with a list of guidelines for uh, public worship together. And I'd like you to look at those and to consider those as you come back to worship. Some of them you're not going to be happy with. 
I know it's going to change. It's going to be a different culture coming back. And um, I'll tell you what we've learned about COVID over the past uh, few months. We've learned, and one, some of the articles I find most helpful are the ones that just, you know, what's the riskiest thing you can do? What's the least risky thing you can do? Uh, the, the least risky things you can do are be outside, be socially distanced, and wear a mask. Uh, with hand washing. Those things, uh, you know, th that, as long as you have air and wind and uh, something that'll diffuse those droplets of COVID that are so dangerous, then you're fine. The most dangerous, those settings are closed-in settings where you sit with a group of people for a long period of time. And so if you look at most of the risk lists, the highest risk are restaurants and ar arenas and churches because that's a place where people sitting in even space, they're sitting together in a closed place for a long period of time. That said, uh, some of Nathan and his team's recommendations are, uh, it really is, uh, who knew that singing was so dangerous? But you, you, we really cannot have congregational singing uh, or um, choirs. Uh, and, and I have met, I, I met, it was great. I went virtually to a, to a choir rehearsal with Athens first and with um, Glenn Memorial, talked to their choirs, and it breaks our hearts. Uh, we love choirs. We love singing. That's a big part of worship as we've known it. But it's something that really won't come back for a while. And I'm sorry to say that, and I hate that, but to be safe, that's really how it has to be. Uh, another thing is um, masks. You know, I know there's a lot of controversy about masks. And I'm going to ask you not to uh, be a problem for your clergy or for your church's leadership team to acquiesce graciously to wearing masks. Uh, and I, I, I have the latest research out. It came out uh, June 9th. The universities of Cambridge and Greenwich uh, did a huge study, and they concluded from their from their findings that um, that uh, we probably it will be hard to stop a resurgence of COVID. But this is what they say: even homemade masks can dramatically reduce transmission rates if enough people wear them in public. And then the, they've closed their findings by saying this: our analyses support the immediate and universal adoption of face masks by the public. That's pretty clear. So if I want to watch out for your safety, if I love you, if I want to do what's best for the whole body, if I want to watch out for the weakest among us, I wear a mask. It's that simple. Um, so now is not the time, you know, I get letters and I know people go to, the, to your clergy. It's a time to think about we. And it's not very convincing to have a personal preference or a political statement. And so uh, we're trying to be as even-handed as we can to go with the science to give you our recommendations for safety. And if you want to make a political statement or you prefer not to wear a mask, that's great. You're welcome to watch online. Or if your church chooses, it might have a place far away separate, maybe even the balcony, where people without masks sit. But the reality is the science is clear, especially with this finding just two days old that um, we, can do a we can dramatically uh, work to keep people safe if we will simply wear a mask, even homemade. So please, please, 
uh, comply with, with your church's suggestions and recommendations about mask wearing. Be careful, entrance and exit, uh, that has to be spaced when you come in and leave the church. Be careful with uh, nurseries and children's things. A lot of churches are not even going to have those available. Uh, but I think you need to think through these things before you gather. Um, it's going to be different. I mean, I know many churches who have decided just to stay with virtual worship and not to regather. Because, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't had the experience yet of sitting in a mass six feet away from everybody, not hugging, not having coffee together. Uh, not having a choir, not singing congregationally. Uh, it might be that the experience online is far better and churches are welcome to decide to do that. But uh, that said, there is power and joy in just seeing other, other faithful gatherings. So um, it's up to you. It's up to you to go, but it's up to you to keep everybody safe and to think in terms of we rather than I. Um, I hope it won't... The, uh, regathering won't stifle uh, your online presence and your innovation. I think we've come a lot. You know, uh, a lot of what we were doing wasn't working. Uh, the decline of the church has happened, the decline in worship attendance. And so uh, maybe it's time to continue to explore new ways of worship and new ways of reaching out, and new ways of, of having social media and online presence. So I hope you will continue that. You will continue that focus and continue uh, to move on. I also, uh, you know, if you like congregational singing and you want to sing, you are free. You know, if we can't do that gathered in our churches now, but if you want to, you know, sit in your house and put on the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and sing hymns as loud as you can with them, just be creative. Think of new ways if that's what you need to fulfill your soul. But uh, fulfill your soul in a way that doesn't put other people at risk. And, um, one thing that I thought was interesting in the same article about the 1918 flu pandemic when the church has graciously acquiesced to staying uh, closed, to not gathering, uh, it said that uh, the pastors were recommending that focus, people focus on the private worship of God. And you have a whole toolkit of spiritual disciplines. So maybe this is a season when you focus on family worship or private worship for God. This is when you pray and meditate. Maybe you watch one online worship service, but you really focus on other areas of renewing your faith. And, you know, historically, uh, we have a whole toolkit of spiritual disciplines, and some of them, I'm afraid, get neglected. So this might be the time to reclaim them. A lot of people feel like if they can't gather for worship, I feel like they think the whole toolbox has been taken away, when really just one tool to spiritual life and development has been removed. So think about those things. I uh, wish you happy reopening whenever that happens, whether it's this Sunday or a month from now or two months from now. Uh, many of the big, big churches uh, are closed, some even to August, September, some indefinitely, because they realize they want to focus on just the quality of their service. Another thing I want to talk about is when we talk about we, and those who are um, given lesser honor, those who are uh, need to be uh, that are suffering that we need to support. Clearly, in the past few weeks, race has come to the forefront, and we need to just, as a church, acknowledge that our African African American uh, siblings are hurting. And there is a culture of racism in this country. There is a culture, uh, and, and it has just happened by virtue 
of, of history, that we are formed in ways that um, are exclusive and that um, really cause them to suffer. So I invite you to look at the cabinet, my, the cabinet, me, the cabinet, and the chancellor of the annual conference uh, posted a statement on racism and white supremacy and how that needs to be eliminated uh, in our culture. And I'm inviting you to come on a journey with me as we focus on the we and we focus on those in our, in our uh, church who are hurting. I invite you to be on a journey of, of exploration with the cabinet and me as we, uh, first of all, two things I wanna suggest. First of all, uh, I hope you will educate yourself. I am the first to say I had an incomplete education. I was not taught the history of uh, African-American, of, of racism, African-American um, deprivation in the United States. I was not taught how of white supremacy. I was not taught any of these things in school. Uh, I had an incomplete education. I did not know the policies that the government has put into place decade after decade uh, that have consistently uh, put African-Americans at a disadvantage. So I invite you to join me on this educational journey. And uh, you need a complete education and you also need relationships with black people. You need to have uh, more than just nodding relationships and more than just business relationships. You need conversations. Uh, when the cabinet went through uh, diversity training with uh, Al Vivian, uh, son of C.T. Vivian, one of the civil rights work uh, figures, key figures in the civil rights movement. He went around the room and he went to every African-American person in the room and he asked them individually, do you have any reason to think that things in this country will be better for your children than they are for you? And my heart broke and every white person's heart in that room broke when every African-American person, without exception, said no. We have got to wake up and pay attention and listen. We have got to let voices too long silenced in the church. And our history here in Georgia is horrible when it comes to matter of, matters of race, white supremacy, and subjugation of African-American people. And so I invite you on this journey of education and relationship. If you don't have close friends and deep conversations with African-American people, and if you don't have an education on all of the policies and all of the systemic uh, obstacles to advancement for African-American people in this country, then you have nothing to say about race, I'm afraid. It's not good enough to say, I'm not racist. It's not good enough to say I treat all people the same. It's not good enough to say I'm kind and loving. You are part of a system and a culture that is broken and messed up. And that's what the events of the past week have been a clarion call, an alarm to all of us that we have got to pay attention. So in the name of Jesus Christ and in the name of the church, and in the name of we exist for we and not I, our African-American brothers and sisters are suffering. And as Paul said, we are called to suffer with them. If you go through this journey,
If you have a complete education and if you have deep conversations with black people, then, then, if you can say, I am not racist and our systems aren't racist, then if you can say that, I will just marvel that that can be your conclusion. But if you have not done that, you're not equipped to speak into the conversation, I'm afraid. So hear me. Uh, it, is, it, is my, it is my voice as your shepherd, as a representation of Jesus Christ in the church. I appeal to you. I appeal to you to listen to these members of the church. It's a matter of our salvation and our wholeness as white people to listen and to be part of the conversation and of the improvement uh, of life and the future generations, the children of our African-American siblings. So uh, I, once again, thank you for your help. I wish you um, great success and safety in your reopening, uh, your regathering time. And uh, once again, we're in this together. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Uh, and also, please, out of love for your clergy, because a lot of them are vulnerable or have uh, immunosuppressed or underlying conditions, be attuned to your clergy and uh, don't put them in harm's way. And if they need to, to preach virtually or continue with virtual um, worship for their own health, I hope you'll be uh, amenable to that because they are uh, our frontline workers and they have done tremendous things. And I I have such great love and respect for them, so please. Uh, but in all things, know I'm praying for you. Know I am um, listening to you. Know that I am trying to be as innovative and creative to lead the church in this new era, however it unfolds. In some ways, they are exciting times as much as they are heartbreaking times. But I feel the Holy Spirit is at work and moving and we just have to join in. So blessings uh, in this season, and uh, thanks again for listening and for um, your cooperation. Amen and amen. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.